Good morning, everybody. Before we look at the scripture, I have a couple couple things uh, to mention. Uh, let's see. Why don't we have Lee and Dean McClure just raise their hands? Everybody, visit Ice Cream Cafe this afternoon. They have a brand new drive-through. Um, you know about that and it was put in free of charge by an elderly which means anybody older than I am driver who jumped the curb and went through the front entrance so at any rate they're open they're back open so um, yeah <clears throat> I'm not getting to get off the subject but I'll never in my life I, I better be careful because then maybe I'll do it I'll never understand this explanation that I meant to hit the brake, but I hit the gas. I'll never understand that. They aren't alike. They don't feel alike. I don't get it. But anyway, on another subject, where is, yes, is Jackie? Where, where is Jackie? There, Jackie. I want you to come up front, and Kylie, if you would come up. <clears throat> I want to introduce both Jackie, of course, is our children's director, and Kylie Brown, who is going to take Jackie's place. Now, we're not firing. We fired Jackie <laughs> probably weekly. But um, at any rate, she is entering her senior year at Black Hills, uh, working on her teaching degree. And she's been doing it, she's been commuting all the way while she's worked this year plus. Um, here, she's commuted and done online. Now, this year, she has to be in class, student teaching, and so forth. So she can no longer be um, our children's director. But I really believe God's provided. Um, Kylie came up in our youth group. Um, and she just finished teaching uh, her degree, did her student teaching, and in doing her student teaching, discovered she didn't like to teach. Um, or maybe just don't like kids. But anyway, it really worked out. It's worked out very well. God supplied for us. So Kylie will be our new uh, children's director. Now, Jackie will be here until the start or middle of August. And Kylie will shadow her going through VBS, getting ready for the kickoff of the fall. So it's really working out well. Um, but I want you to know I have real confidence in Kylie. We're going to be in good hands, been in very good hands with Jackie. So the Lord's taking care of us. So anyway, welcome. You can return. The scripture for today is Matthew 16, and <clears throat> I don't normally read quite this much, but I don't know how um, not to read the whole chapter. Um, it's 28 verses, it won't kill us. Um, so beginning with verse 1, <clears throat> Matthew 16 in the previous chapter, Jesus had just concluded at the end of that chapter, he had concluded the second feeding of a large crowd, 
the first feeding was the feeding of the 5,000, and that's 5,000 men. And you have to add wives and children to that. And once again, he feeds this time the 4,000. <clears> Just concludes that at the end of 15. And beginning in 16, the Pharisees and the Sadducees came up. Briefly, the Pharisees were the legalistic, ultra-conservative, hypocritical Jews. The Sadducees were the liberals. They didn't believe in the resurrection. They didn't believe in a judgment. They didn't believe a lot of stuff. So you have these two polar opposites, but they, got, they hated each other. But they were buddies when it came to Jesus. They both hated him. So they joined ranks and came up and testing Jesus, they asked him to show them a sign from heaven. But he replied to them, when it is evening, you say, it will be fair weather for the sky is red. And in the morning, there will be a storm today for the sky is red and threatening. Do you know how to discern the appearance of the sky, but cannot discern the signs of the times? An evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign, and a sign will not be given it, except the sign of Jonah. Jesus likened himself to as Jonah spent three days in the belly of the whale. He used that as an illustration. He would be three days in the grave and would rise again. And he left them and went away. And the disciples came to the other side of the sea, but they'd forgotten to bring any bread. Jesus said to them, watch out and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. They began to discuss this among themselves, saying, he said that because we didn't bring any bread. But Jesus, aware of this, said, you men of little faith, why do you discuss among yourselves that you have no bread? Do you not yet understand or remember the five loaves of the 5,000 and how many baskets full you picked up? Or the seven loaves of the 4,000, and how many large baskets full you picked up? How is it that you do not understand that I did not speak to you concerning bread? But, we, but beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Then they understood that he did not say to beware of the leaven of bread, meaning physical bread, but of the teaching of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he was asking his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, but still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And he said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, which means son of Jonah, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. I also say to you that you are Peter, which means stone, and upon this rock, which means a large bedrock shelf, I will build my church, and the gates of Hades, the kingdom of evil and death, will not overpower it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall have been bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth 
shall have been loosed in heaven. Simply whatever you permit and what you prohibit in your teaching will be binding uh, on us. Then he warned the disciples that they should tell no one that he was the Christ. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised up on the third day. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, God forbid it, Lord, this shall never be, or this shall never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me, for you're not setting your mind on God's interests, but man's. Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in the glory of his Father with his angels, <clears throat> and will then repay every man according to his deeds. Truly I say to you, there are some of those who are standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. That's a lot of territory to cover, but there's a main theme through all of this, and it is revelation. In other words, the disclosing of things that we do not know and cannot know unless someone outside of ourselves brings them to us. There are two kinds of revelation, two kinds of revealings that the Bible talks about. Number one is what we call general revelation. General revelation is probably from three sources. One, creation or the world. Two, history, that we see the hand of God. Three, the nature of mankind, meaning the, one of the arguments for against atheism. There are supposedly five major arguments for the existence of God. Um, they're not bad, but it doesn't really prove, prove, but nevertheless. One of the arguments is called the moral argument, and that is that every human being has some, maybe shadowy, but some sense of someone or something beyond themselves. And there's a sense of, um, an innate sense of right and wrong. Somehow there's a law of right and wrong written on our hearts. Again, it may be fuzzy, it may be warped and twisted, but it's there. And so there's a universality of a, a recognition of something beyond just what I can see and feel and weigh and measure here. That's general revelation. Now, general revelation, especially Romans 1, speaks of that. General revelation can show me and does show me to the point that Paul said you don't have an excuse. You can't plead ignorance. There's enough evidence. For a creator, for that creator's wisdom, 
his awesome power. But it cannot, the general resurrection, can show us a creator, but not a savior. That requires fuller and further revelation. That revelation is what we call special revelation. And that's really two further shedding of light. One, the scripture, the prophets, who spoke in a way God elevated their humanity to a level that they were able to receive and to convey truth without error. The scripture then we must have to teach us much more about the creator but introduce us to the idea of a savior. And along with the idea of a savior, of course, we're introduced to the idea of sin, rebellion, and our status in God's sight as a race, that we are displeasing to him. We are at enmity with him. All of that is revealed in this book. It could not be revealed through creation. And then the third, brightest light, God himself clothed himself with flesh and came here, walked and taught among us. The Son of God, the living word, said to Philip, Philip asked him, he said, show us the Father. And Jesus said, Philip, have I been with you so long that you can't figure out what I've been telling you? He said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So the ultimate revelation is Jesus, who showed us the Father. All of this, I want you to think about this. As with the human race in general, God had a dimmer switch approach. Starts out with dim light, but be continually opens it up, brightens it up, it's fuller, wider, deeper revelation culminating in himself coming. In the same way that the human race received this revelation gradually, so do we as individuals. God goes through the same process. It's, of course, shortened. But he goes through the same process with every human being. We have a dim sense of right and wrong. And hopefully we encounter some Christians and we encounter the Bible and we begin to get more light. And we finally come to the place where God reveals his son to us. Don't want to get too far ahead of myself, but here Jesus, when Peter said, you're the, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. You're the anointed one, the chosen one that God would send into the world through whom we would be saved. That's who you are. Jesus said, blessed are you, Peter. Flesh and blood, humans and human reasoning 
did not reveal this to you, but my Father who's in heaven. There must be a supernatural, beyond human reasoning. We, we, have to, we have a brain, and God aims a lot of truth at our brain. But it can't stop with that. Somehow, the transference of this to this, only God can do. A human can't do it. We can't. Only God can shine his light in the darkness of our heart. And we, it clicks. God's the only one that can do that. When I began, when I first started in the ministry, of course, I knew all there was to know. It was 23. And I used to think, now I listen, I preached seven or eight, and I'm serious, that few. I preached seven or eight sermons to you on what it means to get saved or, you know, whatever. And so get with it here. That's enough. I've told you, that's it. That's insane. All different kinds of backgrounds, all different kinds of presence or absence of spiritual light as we were raised. I grew up in a minister's home. Couldn't have had any more light. And was preaching to poor dear souls who maybe this was the tenth time they'd been in church in their whole life. And I had to realize, and I won't get too far off the subject there, but I've had to realize God has to do this or it does get done. Now here's what that tells us. Here's, that, here's what that tells us. All of the how to grow a church, how to build your church is balderdash. It's out of my hands. It's out of our, your hands. When you pray for and work on and talk to your loved ones and friends and people that God's put in your pathway that he wants us to talk to. But I can't, I can't make that last connection. Can't do it. I can inform them. I can do my best to set a pattern before them. But every single person in this world has to have a supernatural intervention where God takes what's here and opens it up here. That tells me then that we are merely cogs in this whole enterprise. I don't build a church. I can't build a church. You and I can't convince a person beyond here, we never can get to here, that they should give their heart to Jesus. Now, taking us out of the whole issue is humbling. But Jesus meant it that way. He meant it that way. We work with him, and we it's minuscule what we do, really. But it matters, because he tells us what to say. He sends us to certain people. But God, it's like Paul said so well, one man waters, one man plants, another one waters. But God's the one that makes it grow. Then he 
comes up with a conclusion from that. He that plants and he that waters are what? Nothing. Nothing. The truth of the matter is God loves us and he includes us. What a dignifying thing that he includes us. But I bet you he could figure out a way to get along without us. He does not have to have us. It's really a kindness that he says, okay, I'll let you help. Just like you do with your grandkids or your kid, you know, who's got one of the little plastic lawnmowers and they're helping you. Yeah, okay, you can help. That's about how God, I think, sometimes looks at us. Okay. Because he loves us. And he sends us to our fellow humans. But God's got to do the work. So here in this passage of Scripture, we see several things. Um, and I just want to look at, look at them in kind of a general sense. We see a number of illustrations. First, the one with the Pharisees and the Sadducees. The next one with the disciples themselves who didn't discern Jesus isn't talking about. You didn't bring a loaf of wonder bread along. I'm talking to you about spiritual things. There is, in, in each one of these episodes, the Pharisees and Sadducees, the case with Jesus talking to the disciples, and then the confession of Christ, who men say, who's everybody else say I am, who do you say I am? And then when Peter gets jerked up short into his chain, by Jesus when he said, listen, this dying and this dying business. And also, in this passage in 16, also in 17, this is just two right in a row of the numerous times that Jesus said, I am going to be delivered into the hands of wicked men. They will kill me. And after three days, I'll rise from the dead. They never heard the last part of the sentence. Not here in 16, not in 17, even up to the eve of Jesus' crucifixion, they still didn't get it. Well, that's a pattern in this passage of the need for revelation, that there is humans were, were not only fallen in the sense of affected by sin, but were infected too. By sin. And with sin, it darkens our minds, it stunts our understanding. And so there, there has to be, somehow, God has to bring us to realize while we live in a physical, temporal world that I can see, measure, weigh, that there is another entire world out here that I can't see. And here's the irony. That one is the one that matters. And this one is passing away. But our attention is on this one, not that one. Jesus brought it out first when he told the Pharisees. He said, you guys think you can figure out the weather, the physical heaven. Because they said, we want to see a sign from heaven. Well, they didn't mean the sky. They meant you know, the supernatural, I guess. And he said, it wouldn't do any good. And notice he didn't give him a sign. He said, it wouldn't do any good because 
you can see, you can sort of predict the weather, but you can't see the signs of the times. You can't see the moral condition of the world and of Israel and of where we are. You can't see that there is, there is not, and I'm not getting into politics, there is not Democrat and Republican, even though, well, never mind. <clears throat> this is satanic and God. That's the kind of war we're in. The truth of the matter is, even though, <laughs> I hope this isn't being, well, I guess it's being recorded, even though the, the devil often disguises himself as Democrats, um, nevertheless, it's the devil. People talk often about, I tell you, it's a conspiracy. Listen, there's no pipsqueak human being or beings, I don't care how many of them, in this world that could ever cook up a conspiracy the likes of what we see playing out in every generation, but especially in this one. Wickedness, Paul said to the Ephesians, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. Humans can't cook up the mayhem we've got in this world. But he said, we wrestle against principalities and powers in the supernatural realm. That's what matters. But we don't see it. Our tendency is to see what only I can see. I don't look at what is eternal. I focus on the temporal. There's where Jesus then, and I don't have time to go into all that, but I think it's interesting here. If we, if we look at what the disciples didn't know and, and their responses, and we look at Jesus more than once, mostly through this whole chapter, there is, now, and I want to put this right, correctly, there's a, technically, I don't know if God could be frustrated, but there's a frustration exhibited by Jesus. Don't you know? Can't you see? Why have I told you this many times? You still don't get it? This goes through that whole chapter. What's wrong with you? He's saying. He didn't say it cruelly. He loved them. But there's a sense of what's a matter? Except he knew what was the matter. He already knew. And he reveals it. And it's cure at the end of the chapter. But in revealing then, first of all, our tendency to always focus on what we can see and feel and experience. And we miss this world out here. There is, first of all then, let me just try to sum up the different things that are revealed. First of all, in special revelation that we see in this chapter, Christ is revealed. Jesus was bringing them to see him. He came as the ultimate 
light and the final revelation. He's the capstone of all God's revelation. Creation, the prophets, history, the, the flood, all these great acts of God all paved the way for the final revelation of pure light, Jesus. And Jesus said, there's something in the question too, he said, who do men say that I am? Well, they gave an accurate answer. They said, there's all kinds of opinions about you. There still are today. But he said, well, some think you're a resurrected prophet or, um, you know, one of the specific prophets. Not real sure, but there's a lot of ideas out here. Then Jesus said, yeah, but who do you say I am? That's the greatest question that faces every human being. Who do you say I am? It's, e it's easy for us to discuss and pontificate on, you know, the 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 status of the world today, and the things that are, you know, and the problems. He said, yeah, but what do you say? I can spell out maybe what everybody else says, but what do you say? And notice, Peter separated himself and set himself up for criticism by saying something different than what everybody else said. That teaches us something. Our view of Jesus is going to be the minority view. They had all kinds of other opinions, but he said, who do you say I am? And Peter said, what few were willing to say, you came from heaven. You're God. You're God. He said a mouthful when he said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And what he meant there was the full understanding of the Jews, the Messiah, the anointed one from God that would come. Yes, Peter likely had, we know from later passage, he had misunderstanding of what Jesus' kingdom would be like, still focused on the temporal. But at least, at least he was willing to separate himself from the rest of common humanity and say, I say you're greater than anybody else is willing to say. We're going to have to take that position. You cannot take the, well, he's a great teacher and he was a great prophet and he, you know, um, boy, isn't it wonderful and, or isn't it wonderful that we date all of our calendars from before Christ or after Christ and now that they're trying to get away from that with BCE and, and whatever, common era. Isn't that horrible? Yeah, it is. It's symbolic effort to get rid of Jesus. But we're going to have to stand out and say, this is who he is. And by saying that, you're the Christ. Peter implied a bowing of the knee. It isn't just, you, you can't say from the heart, you're God. And not include in that, you are worthy and you require my worship, my obedience, my one 100% allegiance. 
you will, you will receive and accept nothing less. Christ is revealed here. And this wonderful commendation of Peter, blessed, blessed are you, Peter, because the Holy Spirit, through the Father, from the Father, revealed this unto you, not flesh and blood. We have to have that ourselves. It is, we call that, the Bible calls it, a number of different terms. The new birth, conversion, saved. Have you had that? I've asked all my ministries, asked people, well, tell me, give me your testimony. Often I hear more balderdash and wandering around and um, rabbit tracks and my grandpa was a pastor and so. It's a pretty easy answer to give if you've been saved. If my Father in heaven revealed to you, I'm lost, I need a Savior. Remember, nature and creation shows me a creator, but not a Savior. I have to have a spiritual, supernatural, eye-opening experience that shows me I need God. And I'm not prepared to stand in His presence. Have I had that kind of experience? You remembered if you did. If you got to fumble around to try to, I don't mean to be sound cruel, judgmental, harsh, all that. But when I ask somebody, when when did you get right with God? I've already made, and I know I'm not infallible. Most of the time, I've already made my mind up. You already answered me. When it's well, I. I you just answered me. If you've had an experience where my Father in heaven revealed to you my lostness, my need of a Savior, and I embraced Him and trusted Him and bowed the knee to Him, you remember it. Jesus is revealed to us. And after blessing that dear Peter, Jesus loved him. And remember, Jesus knows the future and he knows our hearts. He knew what was coming up in the next paragraph. He says to Peter, God bless your heart, Peter. You answered right. I'm proud of you. I love your forwardness. Before any of the other 11 could say a word, boy, Peter's out there. I'll tell you who you are. He didn't care. Until a little girl said, "You, I think you're one of his. And when he was in trouble, and he would get in trouble, he changed his tune. But here, you're the son of God. No question about it. Then Jesus, right after commending dear Peter, made a second major revelation that not just to Peter but to the whole world. He revealed the carnal heartedness of every human. 
because he said, I'm going to go up to Jerusalem. Scribes, Pharisees, chief priests will put me to death. After three days, I'll, I'll rise from the grave. They didn't hear that good news. And Peter, in an act, I think, of not only arrogance, desperation, but terrible carnalness, meaning focused on this world only. He literally said, this is what the literal translation is, God have mercy on you. Rather than this shall not, you know, this will never be, God forbid it, it's God have mercy on you, this shall never be. <laughs> it was a whole reason that God spent about 35 to 4,000 years laying the groundwork for sending his son, giving the whole of the scripture, all of the prophets. And many of the prophets didn't know what they were pointing to. But God spent at least 4,000 years writing a book, all narrowing in and focusing in on Jesus and sending his son. And Jesus knowing from before the foundation of the world that I'm coming to die. It's really what the rebuke that Jesus gave to Peter here was actually pretty nice <laughs> for what he had coming. 4,000 years, God prepares the way, finally sends his son, and he said, I'm going to die, and then I'll rise from the dead. Why? Peter was so, so out of it, he didn't know what in the world he was talking about. Grabs him, grabs him, the son of God, <laughs> grabs him and straightens him out. No, this is, you're, you're, you're off. <laughs> what mercy that God didn't, it wasn't just a little puff of blue smoke and that was it. But he did say this, get behind me, Satan. Now it didn't mean he called him the devil. It, the word here is adversary. And then he he clarifies that when he says, you're a stumbling block to me. You're in my road. You and, you and I are not thinking alike. And then he stipulated as clearly as he could. He said, your mind is not on the things of God, but on the things of men. You don't get it. Remember, clear back with the Pharisees who wanted to see a sign. You don't get it. With the disciples who thought, man, he's, we, we forgot to bring... PBJs along with us. He said, you don't get it. Then he talks here again. Peter, you don't get it. And the word carnal, we don't use it a lot anymore, but the word carnal simply, it's a word for meat, flesh. And the word is the flesh, meaning the whole visible world and the values of this world and the whole system of this world, its definition of success, of good and evil and so forth, all of this is summed up as carnal, the flesh, this worldly, temporal, temporary, not eternal. <laughs> 
Set your affection on things above, not on things on this earth. So the carnal mind, which just doesn't get it, and is contrary to the idea of sacrifice, it was lost on Peter. And Jesus revealed to Peter what a carnal heart is, even though Peter just got commended by God. Was Peter going to hell? Absolutely not. His name was written in heaven, but he still had a deeper need. I will not quit hitting on that point every time I get the chance. That's what matters. If God doesn't get rid of this beachhead of Satan's in our hearts, the sinful nature, even after we're saved, God's or our victory is heavily in doubt. I know I have to hurry. <clears throat> we see what's going on in U Ukraine today. And there are different camps, some behind the scenes, some visible. But there's different camps as to what should be done. Let's try to get this thing calmed down. If we have to give a little bit of property, you know, a little bit of land, divide it down by the whatever, some river between, right, let's, let's get this over. There's other people say, kill them. Push them out to the last person. Why? You can't leave the enemy a beachhead and not think they won't eventually take over the rest of the property. Can't do it. That's why God said, I want to save you. I want to forgive your sins. I want to get you out of the practice of sin. But I'm going after that nature that is to turn back. Literally means that. To turn back. I've got to get that out of you. So that you can be successful walking with God. So he revealed to Peter what was still lurking in his heart, even though the dear soul was wonderfully saved. But he said, you need something else. And here's how to get it. And this is the third, and we'll do it in one minute. This is the third revelation. The cross. Or we could say a cost. What does God do about that carnal tendency? He says right here, you take up your cross, you follow me. What is a cross for? We have people talk about, we just carry a cross all through our lives. That is not what he's talking about. The verbs here don't even mean that. What's a cross for? Lug around all your life? No, a cross was an instrument of death. When you left in the morning to go to crucifixion, you weren't coming back. You were not coming back. That's what a cross that Jesus is talking about here means. And then he gave a different metaphor. If you hang on to your life, you lose it. But if you lose it for my sake, if you give it to me, take your hands off, renounce your so-called rights to your own life, he said, you find it. For all of eternity. What a revelation here that we then need 
in the process of walking with God and walking with light, we have to have the same kind of light dawn on our hearts. And then it's up to us how we respond. This is a tremendous chapter. There's several of them in the Bible that are great chapters. What a chapter this is of Jesus revealing us. Every bit of it, though, even when it's sharp, is done because he loves us. Let's bow our heads. Dan, if you'll come and dismiss us. Father in heaven, you are good and you are faithful, Lord, to reveal to us this morning as we looked at these two general revelation and special revelation and how they're broken down in your scripture. But I pray, Lord, in the name of Jesus, as always this morning, as you are faithful to speak to our hearts, may we be as faithful in our response to you that these revelations that have been revealed to us this morning, we would not reject them, but our, our response would be to embrace them and to allow you to do whatever work needs to be done in our heart, whether it's a work of salvation or a work of sanctification. I pray, Lord, that we would be in a place this morning that you could do that work that needs to be done, no matter which one it is, because we need you, Lord. We cannot leave this place today in the same condition we came in. We have to be closer to you each and every day as we walk through this life. So, Father, I pray in the name of Jesus for each individual that can hear my voice, including myself, that the words that were spoken this morning by our pastor would land on us in a way that would make a difference. And our response to our response to understanding the revelation when you tell us who you are, our response should make a difference in how we live our lives. But we got to remember, Lord, we do that by your grace. Because of that revelation, we understand your grace, and may we live to your glory today as we leave this place. Um, help us to do that, Lord, by the power of your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Love you guys. You are dismissed. Have a great day, everyone.